Welcome to the Understanding Jesus Podcast. I'm Pastor Troy Richards, and with me today, Mr. Clayton Carver. Hello. And Evan Fetterhoff. Hey. And behind the screen, Austin the Engineer, making everything happen in glorious fashion. We are so glad you're here today. We have so much uh, amazing things to talk about. And uh, we are in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and Psalm 44, really. That's, that's where we're going to stick with that. We had a lot of great stuff to read, a lot of stuff we don't get to cover. Hope you have read the reading this week. It's uh, a lot of good stuff happening, like I said, in the Gospel of Luke, Psalms, Proverbs. And uh, in the Old Testament, we are finishing up Joshua so uh, and moving into Judges soon. So uh, a lot of um, man, it's 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 a vibrant time in the Old Testament. Lots of stuff happening. Uh, PG-13 mm-hmm. at best. Yep. <laughs> it's some pretty graphic stuff. No more bedtime stories. That's kids. right. So we're, we're we're not we're not delving into that in the podcast. But you are more than welcome to read uh, through Joshua. And actually, please do. Yeah, please do. Actually, yeah, yeah, on the much to on the website, top right corner under That's resources. Right. As for me and my house. We will do the reading plan. We will do the reading plan. All right. But we'll be back and tell you what we learned when we return. Should we still follow the Old Testament law? How should we interpret prophecies? Have you ever had a passage of the Bible you just couldn't understand? If that's you, then I want to personally invite you to our study called How to Study the Bible beginning April 19th at 6 p.m. In this study, we will study what the Bible is and how we can interpret different genres, styles, and contexts of the biblical authors. This study will give you new tools, tips, and training that will help you in your personal study of Scripture. If you have any questions, please contact the church office. I hope to see you there. Take a moment to look at the reading this week. Uh, we have been, of course, we always do Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs. Uh, today, we're going to focus a little bit specifically in the Gospel of Luke and in Psalms. And Evan's going to kick us off. Awesome. Thank you, Pastor Troy. Um, reading out of Luke 10, I'm in the English Standard Version once again. So, um, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. If not, but if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Um, whenever you enter um, whenever you enter a town they, and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick. I'm going to stop there. What I really want to cover was verses 1 to like 3, um, where it's talking about the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, the same thing we see in Matthew 9, um, 36 to 38-ish. Um, and in, the, in those two passages, we see this, this picture of Jesus commanding that that people are to go out and ask God, pray to God, and ask Him to send out laborers into the harvest that is given to us. And um, he, it's a it's both a promise and a command. So we're commanded to pray, we're commanded to go and do these things. But it's also a promise that um, that with the prayer and the, the request of laborers, 
that God will bring us people to him. And mm-hmm. um, so by us being faithful with that message that we're entrusted to, we can continue to be expectant that God will change hearts around us. Um, now, obviously, things don't always work exactly the way that we hope for them to go, especially, you know, it's, it's not if you share the gospel, then someone will come to Christ. It's it's go out and be faithful with the message that we're given. And then um, and the harvest is plentiful. So we know um, that not every plant is going to reap the same and not every plant is going to be fruitful. I mean, we see that even through um, the parables here um, in other areas. But um, but we know that if we're faithful to go out and um, be a laborer, then we'll yield a great harvest there. Mm. So I think one of the interesting things in this passage that stood out to me this time around was a Jesus said, don't greet anyone along the road. Mm-hmm. I thought that was it was. I don't know, something just stick out as fascinating to me that I never really thought about the fact that he was saying, don't, don't stop and talk to anybody. And and when Jesus was giving them instructions, they were so specific uh, that he was saying, you know, about, and, and we do take away from some things from that when we go to places. I know mm-hmm. when we go into a town, especially when we're overseas doing work, because the mm-hmm. culture is similar to the one Jesus was in, uh, and and you come into a house and bring and and bringing peace. We talk about finding a man of peace in that community and somebody that we can work with and interact with and so forth. And you do use that person uh, as a as a platform to reach out to other people. We don't think about that as much here because uh, the church is so entrenched in our culture and communities and so forth. Right. But when you go into areas where the gospel has not gone, and you, especially restricted areas, especially countries where there's another religion that is their primary religion, uh, you can still find someone who is not hostile toward you. You know, it just is open to the idea that you're going to be there in the community. And and it actually mm-hmm. and it gives you a better understanding of this is this would have been what it would have been like. That's that's what they were doing. They were going to places with really more of a hostile message or mm-hmm. at least antagonistic message to what the message of the culture was. And so uh, it, in the harvest you know, we think about harvest. When we think about plentiful harvest, I think we we get this idea of a crusade and fifty thousand people showing up and hundreds of people coming forward during an invitation and so forth. Mm-hmm. But Jesus is talking about an area where the gospel has not gone, and right. and so the harvest that's there is just waiting for people to take this message to see the activity of the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives. Uh, and, and we kind of lose that here because we we don't. It's kind of like we invite people to church, or we stay within our little circle of people, but we're not thinking about the fact that the gospel was meant to be taken to places where it had previously not been taken, right. and trying to find out where those those places are. And uh, yeah, I, I mean this is this is the passage. You know, this is the the one that uh, should be the one that we look at and go. Uh, this still applies to us today. There, right. there is a harvest to be had, and really, we just don't have enough people to go and do it right. to, to get the harvest. But I think on that note, there's a, there's a bit of a challenge implied in here is that, yes, they went out and they were to pray for harvesters, but they were also the answer to that prayer because yes, they right. went out. Yeah. So I think that's a challenge a lot of times to myself. And um, <clears throat> I know you and I both have told people this here and other churches and things where, people will come and say, well, we see this need or we see this issue in our community or in our church that needs to be met. And oftentimes as a pastor, the question is, okay, is there a way you can fill that? Is there a way you can kind of head that up? Is there a way you can step in and help be a solution to that? Right. You know, don't just say, here's a problem. You need to go fix it. 
you know, try and if you can be the answer to your own prayer. And then if you can't continue to pray. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and really these, this, this, this message that Jesus spoke was is something that we still, uh, I think in terms of when I visited people when I first started ministry and they bring you something to drink, I don't like iced tea. I, I've never liked iced tea. And, uh, and you're from the south. And I'm from the south. So guess what they offer you whenever you're in somebody's house? They always offer you iced tea. And so I remember I would read, think of this passage and be like, well, drink what you're offered. And so that would be, I take that literally. But he was really talking about how this is uh, this is really how they were sustained and uh, how they did ministry. Right. And, and, and we've grown a little bit... Um, fat in this regard because we um we uh we have options we have well i mean we we actually make a lot more doing ministry than they did at this particular we actually make a living doing it we make a living doing it and and then there's anything wrong with that but it but it reminds us that if even if you can't uh if nobody's offering you a salary if nobody's offering you uh benefits or whatever that there's still that calling that that we go Mm -hmm. and we we take what we're offered, and I mean, it's just a matter of being where God wants us to be doing what God wants us to be doing, fulfilling that uh, that commandment. Yeah. Yep. Commission. Sweet. Very good. Thanks, Evan. And I, you know, I appreciate Evan that you have surrendered that calling. That's exciting. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about you last night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, good stuff though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All good stuff. All right. What do you got for us, Clayton? I have Psalm 44. Psalm 44. Psalm 44. Page 523 in my Bible. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'll, mine's I'll 520. Right well, I'm, using, I'm using my Bible off the phone so it doesn't have page numbers. So I'm at a, I'm at a It feels loss. a little backwards. The young the young bucks are using the print <laughs> I, version. I know, the old guy over here yeah, is so. using the, the, um, <clears throat> but the digital Bible. Something felt amiss there. Yeah, yeah. but um, I, I really appreciated this psalm because it it's, you know, and we're we're starting we're starting Bible study tomorrow night on how to study the Bible. Mm. So I want to make sure I don't butcher it. I, I want to make sure I don't disobey my own rules that I'm going to give people. <laughs> but because people love to apply the Bible to their lives and love to apply the Bible to their context, which is right, right which is fine. So this is what we're going to do. But I thought this was a really relatable passage that I thought people, as they read through, could probably go, "That feels a little familiar right now." Mm. Um, with uh, what are you doing? Oh, you're stomping. Okay. I don't know what to do with my hands when I talk, okay? <laughs> He's talking about the thud on the table every time you hit the table. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. sorry. <laughs> you did again. Every time? Yeah. Every gotcha. time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was a very um, interesting passage because people are like, you know, you look at the first three verses and you said you had those highlighted. And, mm. you know, I can hear a lot of people say similar things to this if I remember the good old days of when, you know, everybody went to church or the church was really vibrant or, you know, when our, we were talking about the other day, when the convention meetings had Mm. 10,000 people there and 15 and 20,000 people there. Um, And people look back on that and they're like, God, why aren't you still doing, why isn't that still the case? Why is it that, why is it that Christian elementary schools are being shot up? Why Mm. is it that um, things like that? But, it does it in there. It, it, it's honest with that complaint. And I think the Psalms really teach people that you can be honest and open with God. You can be frustrated and you can be angry and you can, you can voice those emotions toward right. God. Like he's big enough to handle it. And he already knows you're, he already knows you're feeling that way. So you might as well tell him. Hmm. Um, but then it, 
it ends with asking God, interestingly, to wake up, which is obviously hyperbolic language because God doesn't sleep. Um, but just calling God, hey, you know, step in, stick up for us. We know that you're the one that takes care of us, and this is not going to get better until you show up. Um, and I thought that was a really helpful application. And um, I know oftentimes people like to apply First um, Chronicles 7.14 mm-hmm. to today. If my people will seek my face, I will heal their nation. I thought this psalm was a much more appropriate application mm. for what we're dealing with because yeah. it's not it's not an overtly political psalm or it's not an overtly cultural psalm. It's it's a very personal thing, and the principles I think carry over to our day a lot a lot cleaner mm. than something like that would. Yeah, yeah, I did, I found that too, and I I also drew from that psalm. Um, in fact, the part you were highlighting where he says, Awake, why do you sleep, O Lord? Arise, do not cast us off forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our body clings to the ground. Arise for our help and redeem us for your mercy's sake. Um, and I, um, and then I, I, I paired it with a, a passage in the New Testament in Luke chapter 11 where it says, uh, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse uh, than the first. Um, you know, and I, I think of, of of dark times in my life. One of the darkest times I can remember in my life is when my father died. It was um, when I was growing up, I used to, we, I was in drama, and they would say, if you want to generate tears while you're acting, one of the ways an actor's trick was to think of the worst possible thing and just let that, that thought, you know, there was always a trigger. And the thought that would always trigger me crying uh, was the thought of my dad dying because my dad and I were really close. And then, and then he got cancer, and he did die uh, later in life. I was in my early thirties, um, and um, and and I, I, but I, there were other dark times. I mean, there were even though that was a dark time, that was just something that you felt like was just it just happens, you know. And and so there's a there's a darkness that comes from just the events of the living in a sinful world, but then there are dark times that you think you precipitated because of the decisions that you made. And somehow those are darker. <laughs> that's that's a that's an abyss we get into. That uh, when when you feel like when you feel like it could have been avoided. Yeah, because it's a res- you know it's a, a, a direct result of sin uh, that uh, that would not be there uh, if I had just repented. If I had just simply gone the direction God would have me to be, then none of this would have ever existed. None of these consequences would have taken place, and so forth. Um, but when my dad died. It was like something went cold inside of me, and um, and it, because when you sin and you um and you've done something wrong and you know you're being punished for it and so forth in your brain in your heart you you know that if once I repent that there's light waiting there for me you know that God's going to forgive me He's going to restore me and everything's going to be it's kind of like when you disobeyed your parents and but you know that they love you and if you'll just simply obey them again that all's going to be made well and so forth but when my dad died it was like 
it's just it's just done. It's like there's no there's no amount of repenting, there's no amount of doing good, there's no amount of there's no fixing the situation. And and this is a conversation I have with many people over the years in ministry is that they are in situations where they're saying, "What do I do?" and you're sitting here thinking, "There's absolutely nothing you can do." There's I mean, you have absolutely no way to fix the situation that you're in. You are just it's just something has happened to you. And the only redeeming thing is that we are eternal, that there is an eternal restitution. But in this world, it's not it's going to bite for, for a significant amount of time until you're dead. And, and it's uh, and it's really hard to, to get people to be um, uh, have hope. Um, when I was working in a factory, uh, I cut the end of my thumb off and um, the uh, in a chop saw. And my doctor said, um, we can take it off at the knuckle and just take that joint off and make a flap there and you'll have a little nub. He said, or we can go through a painful process of healing and restoration where your thumb will actually grow back. And I didn't know we were lizard-like to some degree, but but by just some moisture therapy that he called it and, and keeping it wet all the time and with different whatever. And uh, anyway, and, and it, but it had to be sterilized multiple times a day and it was, as it grew back over the bone. But he said, it will always hurt. It will, because of the of the nerve there, if I don't cut it back, he said, you will always have pain. It will always throb with pain, which you don't think about until somebody says, hey, does that thumb hurt? <laughs> and then you're like, oh, yeah, you're right, it does. Um, and cold, especially sensitive cold. But it was like, do I want to have the this you do I want to have this this with me until I uh, to have this pain with me uh, and yet have the functionality of this thumb, or or do I want to just get rid of it altogether? And I know this is going to make a point, I promise, uh, with the with the seven spirits, because what I what I thought about with that is that when uh, when when we have darkness come into our lives, we have this moment of of, I think, clarity where God is saying, I am the answer to your problem. And this is an opportunity to turn to me and seek me out. And I think I think a lot of times people, when they get hurt, when they go through loss, when they have tragedy, when they when there's a moment of clarity that's like God is the answer to this problem. God will bring healing to you, uh, and really it is cathartic. He makes us feel there's. We go to a church service, we have we hear a message, we read something in the Bible, some friends come to us, whatever the means is, it brings great comfort and healing to us, and it is though the darkness leaves us. Uh, for that in that moment, and we feel so much better, but it's in that moment that we have either the opportunity to follow Christ, to fill our lives with with Christ, or to run the risk that that darkness is going to return, and when it comes back, it's going to come back sevenfold. It's going to come back so much worse than it was before, and I've seen that. I've witnessed that in the lives of people, and you and you wish you could take you know, you somehow to take that and just play it in front of people who are making those decisions now. But it uh, it's kind of like the the guy who goes to hell and and uh, and sees Lazarus in, in Abraham's bosom and says, oh, if I could just go back and warn my friends and and uh, and God says, well, if they don't believe the law and the prophets, they're not going to believe a man coming back from the dead. Uh, it's kind of like that. It's like no matter how much evidence you have, no matter how many times you say it, people just don't get it. But it is but it is a warning nevertheless. And the warning is, is that when we have this, this, when we have this darkness, that God is going to provide some form of relief, some type of hope, and and we have the opportunity 
to uh, to turn to him. I, I, I am so thankful that in the dark moments of my life that Christ was there, that he is ultimately what pulled me through, what pulled my sisters through, what pulled my mother through, uh, through those dark moments that we all turn to Christ for that hope. And still, is our great hope. And then when my wife got cancer, you know, it was like, you go back to that. And I, I thought, you know, if I had not done that, if I had allowed the darkness to consume me, uh, because it does come back. And so when it comes back, if it, if it come back and, and there was nothing there in my life to defend, protect me from it, uh, I can't imagine going through all the other trials that come through, you know, but I, I, I the only, the only reference point I have is watching it happen in the lives of other people. And uh, I, you know, I think the the testimony there that God has for me in my life is that, uh, you know, I, I hear people say all the time, I don't know how I would get through that if I didn't have Jesus. Um, and and the sad part is I can say, well, I can tell you how you get through it and just point to this person over here and go, you would get through it like they get through it. And they're going to, they had to either fill their lives with drugs or alcohol or some form of escapism or anger or bitterness or unforgiveness or malice or something, uh, it, you know, whatever demon was there tormenting them before in the beginning, uh, once God set them free from that, now it's, it is, it's, it's like it's seven times worse than it was, uh, was before. And, uh, because they just simply opted not to fill their lives with Christ. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it is a, it is a difficult thing to, um, to, I do, that's why I appreciate the Psalms is because he is, he's groaning in this, in this incredibly dark place. And, and we have this emptiness inside us. We are not just to, to salve it. We are not just to find a moment of peace. You know, I, I think, uh, well, let me say this now close because this has just been on my heart today. I think I think we need to remember, especially as followers of Christ, that when you go to a dark place and God is going to show you the way out, however you get out of that dark place, that is your witness to others of how they can get out of the dark places that they are in. Right. And so if you choose to go and on some type of medication to be the means by which you are delivered, then that's your that's the witness you have that this is what helped me going on medication, you know, and not to say that God can't use medication, but it needs to be in that order. It needs to be that I was in a dark place and I turned to Christ and this is how Christ delivered me. Not I was in a dark place and I turned to man or I turned to this or I turned to this, something other than Jesus. And that's what made it better because then obviously God doesn't get glory for that. And secondly, you are leading that person to something that is not going to give them true freedom and true deliverance from the darkness that they're in and so forth that we need to remember. We always, there's a story that's unfolding within each of us and God is saying, Hey, I'm taking you through this. Now I'm going to, I'm going to show you how I'm going to deliver you. It's just like Moses, when he said, I want you to speak to the rock and Moses had the opportunity to give God glory, but he didn't. He rebuked the Israelites. He struck the rock in anger and God provided water was provided. But there was no glory for God. There was no esteeming of God's power and grace in the moment. Uh, and uh, and God was robbed of his glory. And then Moses faced the consequences for that. Didn't ever get to experience the promised land. But um, anyway, I'm trying. To, <laughs> I sometimes go down a dark road. And I'm trying to make sure I don't. Um, I, my wife used to, I used to do lead devotionals with him. We managed a radio station. And she said, do you know you close every devotional with it's going to all burn? 
<laughs> Dang. And so it's like, ah, okay, maybe I should round this up to a to a nice, uh, sparkling, wonderful note. But uh, but the but the idea is is that uh, yeah, that Jesus is that bright spot. He he is he is a light even when we don't feel like we have a light. So anything, anything, guys, you just stare at me blankly. It's all going to burn. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. When we come back, we're going to deal with some questions that have arisen uh, and, uh, and, and hopefully have some cheery, wonderful, uplifting answers as we return to Understanding Jesus. Claim Your Destiny, a men's Bible study of Kingdom Man, six Monday nights starting April 17th at 6.30 p.m. at First Baptist Jackson at The Bridge. That's April 17th, 6.30 p.m. at The Bridge here at First Baptist Church of Jackson. If you'd like to register, go to the Kingdom Man at FBCJ link at fbcj.us. That's our website, fbcj.us. This is the question and answer time of the Understanding Jesus podcast and entertaining questions from Clayton. Clayton, but first, before you ask the questions, Clayton, you had a question last week that was posed to you. I did. Give us a question. Give us posed to us. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going down alone here. Go give us an answer. Yeah. Uh, so we had a question last week about Deuteronomy. I believe it was chapter 25, and the passage was about um, two brothers. One of them's married and the married one dies, that the other brother can take the sister-in-law as his own wife. But if he doesn't want to, then the sister-in-law is supposed to take off his sandal and spit in his face and say, this is what happens to men who don't step up in Israel or right. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I didn't know what to do with that in the moment, and um, I was happy to try and figure that out. And we were talking about that this morning. And um, so... What is interesting, I remember you said that actually goes back into Ruth, that it shows up again in Ruth. Yes. That it's a it's a very cultural thing, um, but I can't remember exactly the cultural, like the, the interpretation that you were fleshing well, out. Well, Ruth, uh, when Ruth seeks to marry uh, Boaz, uh, she, he is actually not the next of kin in line. Right. Uh, it's a whole. Con- you've heard of the term kinsman redeemer. Mm. Right. Uh, and the uh, he is the the kinsman redeemer is the is the next person who is willing to marry his brother's wife in order to carry on his brother's line. So he is redeeming his brother's line, and uh, and Boaz was not the next in line. Well, the problem was in in their world was that uh, a lot of times your brother would die or or, or what cousin whatever far along it went. And you already had children, and so now your inheritance is going to be s- spread to your brother's family that's going to come through this new wife and so forth. And so you've now in, you're now taking from your already existing family and giving to another. So this uh, so the guy the guy that was first in line was like um, uh, he, Boaz comes to him says, "Hey, uh, Naomi's your kin." Uh, do you want the lands of her husband? And he's like, absolutely. I'll be glad to take it. And he's like, oh, one problem. There's also a 
a daughter-in-law who <laughs> needs a husband and wants to have children and it's like whoop i'm out you know and so it's like i'll be glad to pass that off onto you boaz and he's like great and so in front of everybody he gives him his sandal and says basically i'm passing off my right to boy so it became more of a custom uh just uh, to but it but it came from that passage in deuteronomy that uh i mean she didn't spit in his face uh but she had every right to i guess but mm-hmm. uh but it was more of it became but it but it's, it was interesting they still maintain the custom of taking the sandal off and handing it because that was what you did if you were not pursuing your right as uh, the next of line uh, to redeem your brother's land and property and family or whatever. So, yeah. yeah. Which is interesting, which we did, we talked about that. I guess the overall principle was the, the to make sure that widows were cared for. Yes. Um, but I, the, the details of yeah. like why that was, yeah, it's like, that's why those, spit in his face? Why, why yeah, take a sandal? So, yeah, yeah. So God obviously came up with the steps. Well, here's what you do. It's like, okay, it's interesting that that's the process you, came up with yeah the removal of the sandal and i that why god and and the a greater question is and and this is something i haven't researched but uh the greater question is was it a cultural norm that god was taking advantage because he would do that Mm. a cultural norm that they would have all go oh yeah and Mm. god's saying this is you do this because this is what you do Mm. or was it something that never had been done before totally done and and then it started just because god said to do this and had his own reasonings for shaming a person by the removal of their sandal mm. and uh and so yeah that you've made yeah. him now which shows up one-footed that happens quite a bit especially in the law that that yeah. that terms will be adopted like um people are the image of god was actually yeah. not a original to the bible that was mm. an egyptian term and the pharaohs would call themselves the image of god as a way of saying that i'm special and royal and essentially a god myself yeah and then moses who writes who writes that story takes that idea and then gives it to everybody yeah. and shows that we all have this innate dignity that Pharaoh says he had. Right. You know, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, yeah. under the authority. Yeah, of God. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> be careful. Yeah. All the caveats, <laughs> yeah, all the caveats. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a, uh, but yeah, that's the, that is the neat part is, is that it was something that they did practice obviously. And it carried on for hundreds of years all the way to uh, the time of Ruth, who is David's grandmother. Great-grandmother. Great-grandmother. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there you go, Corey. Hope that helps. Yeah. And what was, and what was the next question? Uh, my question came from Luke 10, verse 18, where Jesus says, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a lightning flash. Mm-hmm. And I was just curious to get your take on that verse and on, more broadly, um, the classical interpretation mm-hmm. of Satan being a fallen angel uh, and things of that nature. Well, let me ask you, do you have a take on it? Um, I, I don't know. Okay. I, I have, I have a, a, a professor from seminary who does not hold that view. He holds the view that Satan was created as the opposer, as the Satan. Mm-hmm. And, um, his role in creation is to oppose. Um, and he interprets the fallen past the, the morning star passage in Isaiah, I think it is mm-hmm. as referring to Babylon, right. not to Satan. Yeah. And and it, well, it is in in all honesty, it is referring to Babylon, but it's a question of whether it's a typology of of Satan mm. that is that is both and mm-hmm. um, and and I and I think that uh, it's really hard to to separate in our head in my head anyway uh, that which has been inculcated 
from all the things I've read about Satan and and the things that have been told to me and getting the idea that he is a fallen angel, that uh, that he did take a third of of heaven with him and uh, and so in in the the passages some you know it's like like the name of Lucifer you know is not ever attributed to Satan anywhere in the Bible and I and I'm probably more apt to say mm, don't see that mm-hmm. uh, but um, but on this one. Where I see, where he says, I see Satan falling. I, I think that, uh, I, to me, I, I draw more of the connection in Revelation, where, uh, where John, um, also, where he, I think he kind of goes back to that. I think this is is more of a that he sees the collapse of Satan's, um, kingdom, mm-hmm. uh, in in this moment that's taking as this, as the as the events are unfolding. As Christ is uh, finishing what he came here to accomplish, the um, as to whether I believe everything as as far as Satan's whole doctrine, um, I do lean toward him being a you know that he is the angel of light, that he is the you know the the picture that's drawn to us, I guess, over the years of church history and so forth, mm-hmm. is is one that I'm more comfortable with, just because it does seem to fit into um, the whole concept of angels as a whole, you know, mm-hmm. I think the, uh, the idea that, uh, I mean, but you, there has to become a, with that, there has to be an entire, um, at some point they were not fallen at mm-hmm. some point they, you know, at some point then they had the opportunity to choose. And I think what differentiates us from angels is that there is a redemptive plan for us that there was not for them. Right. And uh, so, so for yeah. me, so for me, like, like I, I can't, I said, I genuinely don't know anymore because I see, I see validity in both sides. And I think you're right mm-hmm. with this passage, how, you know, one of the things I'm definitely going to teach on Wednesday nights is it cannot, if you read a passage, you cannot have an interpretation that would mean nothing to the people that the book was written to. So the people right. in the gospels, if you have an interpretation that would mean nothing to them, then that's not right. Right. So for, for him, to say this, it sounds like Jesus is commenting on something that's happening in the moment. Yes. Um, so he's not trying to put something like to get and together. And I'll tell you, my professor, uh, Tom Schreiner, one of the things that he got me to do was to read the pseudepigraphum, and, mm. uh, which is uh, labor in itself, labor of love. But uh, in the apocryphal books and pseudepigraphum, and pseudepigraphum just means written under a pseudonym. Uh, and so there's several books that are written, uh, like the Book of Enoch. If you think of that, Book of Enoch mm-hmm. is not written written by Enoch, but it was written. They take that name in order to. But there are, but there's so many. It's not that the, those books aren't authoritative. They're not inspired by the by by the Holy Spirit, but they are used constantly in in things that are alluded to in the New Testament. And and so and it would have been things writings that most of the people in Jesus's crowd would have been familiar with. It's kind of like quoting C.S. Lewis, as uh, somebody mm-hmm. told me once, is that, you know, or Tolkien, that people in our world today would go, oh, yeah, I get that reference. It's like, you know, if you use Aslan, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I know what you're talking about. And, mm-hmm. and, and use and use a, the metaphors that are created in those writings to make your point. Uh, that's kind of, it kind of leans in that direction. Uh, and, and it kind of uh, it lends weight to that uh, there is a story out there that is that we don't know. Um, I, I don't want to put it in the same place as dinosaurs, but it's kind of like that in that I do think dinosaurs are real. Mm-hmm. I don't know their story. I don't know how they fit. 
Um, I just know that we have evidence that they are real. You know, I don't, I'm not, I don't think the fossils are fake. Yeah. That they were buried by people. Uh, but uh, the, but I, I, I'm curious what it is. And so, I, and angels kind of fits in that category. I'm actually really curious how angels came to be and how long they've been around and and how they fit in the created order. And, and well, and how things. if that if that were the case, then then Satan would be the first sin. His sin would have been the first sin. Because by the time Adam, I don't, I don't think it's that kind of goes back into a, a and well, we're going to spend way more on this question. Than I want to, but the uh, that kind of goes back to a discussion of did did lions eat meat before the fall mm-hmm. and uh, and there's a possibility they did that it wasn't that the first or that the first animals ever killed were the ones that God killed to clothe Adam and Eve. The Bible doesn't tell us that. Mm-hmm. We just make that we make that jump that they were the first sacrifice and so forth. But uh, it's very plausible. That uh, that you could have animals that ate flesh, that that's the way they were designed. They were created, made that way. That wasn't sinful, wrong to do that. It was just part of the created order, um, which lends itself to the fact that I can eat beef today and not, it wasn't because of the fall, just because I like beef. Um, but um, the... Uh, but it also you build a whole theology that uh, that 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 before, you know. I mean, we're drawing conclusions because mm-hmm. the lion, you know, is going to lay down with the wolf and, and the lamb are going to be, you know, safe with one another, and lion's going to lay down with the lamb and so forth, and and think that this is how future is going to be. Um, but those things can just be metaphors. I mean, they don't have to be mm-hmm. real. Uh, so it's so it's same. I'm just saying it's in the <clears throat> same same vein. I don't. I know that Adam and Eve are the first ones to cause the fall of mankind. Right. You know, that, um, right. uh, because in truth, Eve eating the apple is not the first sin because Satan lied before she ate it. Right. I mean, the deception would have been sinful in itself. So, I right. mean, it wasn't, it's a, and but he did that before her. The important part was the the sin of man, though. Right. It's it's <clears> that's <throat> the whole point of the story is to show the fall of mankind, to show that that we sinned, mm-hmm. and that that was our failure. There is no story for how did Satan get there in the first right. place. Yeah. You know? Well, it's not. Yeah. That. Yeah. And that's not a sin that gets inherited, that gets passed down. Um. He's not. He's not a representation for a man. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, as to whether I build a whole theology around Satan falling from heaven like lightning and saying that is the moment when uh, when Satan fell where he had he was allowed into. I know there's some people say he was allowed into the courts, such as when he was in Job, mm-hmm. you know, and he would come into the presence of God. And from that point, he was cast out of the court of God and no longer allowed into his presence again. And so therefore, forevermore banished from the from the throne of God and, and so forth. I, that's extensive. I don't, you know, when people share things like that, I'm like, that's a cool thought, cool theory. I, we have nothing authoritative yeah, no, about that. Yeah. We have nothing about that at all. But it's kind of like, like that's why I said like dinosaurs. I don't, those are, it's just theories at that point. It's just mm. thought, postulating thoughts. Just don't ever think that you can speak authoritatively. Fun stuff to uh, think about. On, oh, yes, it's fun stuff to think about. But we, yeah. but never should it be something authoritative and right. building a doctrine that we base our lives upon. Okay, I'll, I'll go ahead, give me the next one real quick. Uh. The second one, yeah, real quick. Yeah. Uh, the second one yeah. was um, the unclean spirits that you mentioned yes. earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, do you interpret that passage literally, figuratively, as a parable? Mm-hmm. How so? I'm gonna. I, I stick it in a literal passage. I, I I think the the rich man and Lazarus I typically look at as being a literal uh, story. 
because Jesus mm-hmm. includes names, and I, and I, I tend to follow that mindset <clears throat> of, or at least I lean in that direction. I understand it could be just strictly a parable, but uh, but no, I, I think Jesus has given us some insight here as to more than just simply a. Um, now, well, let me be clear. I don't think he's necessarily given a specific account of here is a situation that happened, this one, but uh, but I think he is describing the spiritual realm as it is, uh, meaning that uh, when a person is free, then if they do not are not filled with the Holy Spirit, then it leaves this vacuum, and the the demon that has left is, has an opening desires to go back i think he is just stating this is the nature of how the spirit realm works and a true warning to believers that if you do not uh if your life is not filled with the holy spirit then you are leaving yourself open to be uh worse in a worse state than you were in the beginning and and i think it fits within our own theology of that uh we say that uh, a person who with eternal security the reason we have eternal security is because we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit dwells within us and and the Holy Spirit uh, can't be taken out of us. Uh, we don't have the power to remove the Holy Spirit. And so a person who, but there is the person who appears to be saved, and I, you pair that with the parable of the sower, this is a person who has experienced the fruit of the word, has been uh, healed as a result of the word, but never changed, never reborn, never regenerated, never filled with the Holy Spirit never never made new into a new creation and therefore is susceptible to be uh, and I do believe Jesus is saying this person because they were made well and then did not follow me that now the last state of this person is going to be worse than the first they're going to be in worse shape than they were before i think it's a true warning to all people that when you are when you experience when you ask god to heal you when you ask God that that and he does he comes and brings peace to your life and gives you a moment of clarity where you you're being called to follow him if you do not follow him um i think you are in the realm of Judas Iscariot that you're in the realm of now uh being in a worse state at the end than you were at the beginning makes yeah. sense okay well that's all we've man we've taken liberties today with time so we're going to just wrap it up right there but thank you for being with us today on understanding jesus we'll be back again next week with special guest matt tanner so hope you'll join us then